This is America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C., an initiative of the U.S.-based think tank International Leaders Summit, in partnership with Lancer Broadcasting's 2FM radio stations in Michigan and the Midwest, and Supertalk Mississippi Media's 12 radio stations and 50 affiliate stations in the South. We thank you for joining us on America's Roundtable. I'm Joe Lott and Sami, your co-host, joined by Natasha Sodorch, economist and co-founder of the International Leaders Summit and the Jerusalem Leaders Summit. America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C. brings together leaders voices from business, government, media, technology, healthcare, and the public policy arena. Subscribe to America's Roundtable on Apple Podcasts, Amazon, Spotify, Google, and Fireside. Visit iLeadersSummit.org. iLeadersSummit.org. Welcome to America's Roundtable. It is Saturday morning and welcome to America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C. This weekend on America's Roundtable, we are delighted to be joined by Steve Hankey, Professor of Applied Economics at Johns Hopkins University. He's one of the world's leading experts on hyperinflation and is known as the money doctor. He served on President Reagan's Council of Economic Advisors and has been an advisor to five foreign heads of state and four foreign ministers of economy and finance. He has been awarded honorary doctorate degrees from seven foreign universities and is an honorary professor at four foreign universities. In 2020, Sir Steve was knighted a Knight of the Order of the Flag. A good morning, sir, and welcome, Professor Hankey. Good morning, Professor Hankey. Well, good morning, Natasha and Joel. It's great to be with you again. Thank you, Professor Hankey. America's GDP, gross domestic product, fell for two consecutive quarters in 2022. And the U.S. economy contracted by 1.6% in the first quarter, followed by 0.9% in the second, which is, among economists, a widely accepted definition of a recession. On top of that, July's annual inflation rate was 8.5%, which was less than 9.1% in June, but far away from the Fed's inflation target of 2%. In order to fight inflation, Fed Chairman Powell recently pledged to further increase interest rate, stating, and I quote, even if it causes some economic pain. It appears that Fed is not pushing back against market expectation of a third consecutive 0.75% rate increase this month. This year, Fed has raised the rates at the fastest pace since early 1980s. There are three remaining Fed meetings for this year, and it appears that several Fed officials expressed their desire to raise their benchmark federal funds rate from the current 2.5% to 4% by the end of the year. Professor Henke, what are your thoughts about the current state of the U.S. economy, and in your opinion, how much economic pain can Americans expect with the Fed's next interest rate increases? Well, Natasha, I, let, let's set the stage just a little bit. First, you indicated that we are at present with a very high rate of inflation, 8.5%. Uh, about a year and a half ago, John Greenwood and I wrote a piece in which we were the only ones to actually put a number and make a real forecast of where inflation would be now. And we said that it would be, be 6%. Maybe as high as 9%. Well, it is 8.5%. We really hit the bullseye with that thing. And we use the quantity theory of money. Milton Friedman, money makes it all tick. Money makes the world go around. There has never been a sustained inflation in world history 
that has not been preceded by a significant increase in the money supply. So we had a significant increase in the money supply starting when it was roughly around the COVID, when COVID hit in early 2020, the, the Federal Reserve opened the floodgates and the money supply started growing about three times faster than it should have been growing if the Fed wanted to hit its inflation target. So that's given us inflation. Just today, by the way, Jerome Powell speaking in Washington uh, essentially said that money has no connection to the to economic activity or inflation. It's incredible. He just keeps going on and on about inflation being caused by this thing, that thing, everything under the sun, but money. And this is a problem because right now what's happened, the money supply for the last five months is not growing in the United States. It's been zero. So what's going to happen going forward, that means that there will, in fact, be a recession in 2023. We've had these two quarters of contraction and economic growth already in 2022, and, and we're going to have, I think, a whopper of a recession in 2023 because the Fed is not watching the money supply. It's flat. It's not growing right now and hasn't been for five months. And they're telling us, literally, they're telling us they're going to raise these rates and give us a recession. So they gave us a, a, a huge inflation. Now they're going to give us a huge recession. And that's the picture. We are going to be we're going to be in what's called stagflation, where we stagnate and we have inflation at the same time. In fact, Greenwood Knight, with that quantity theory of money model, forecast by the end of this year, December of 2022, the year-over-year inflation will be between six and eight percent. It's it's just baked in the cake. It, it must be there, so it'll remain high. And then at the end of 2023 using the quantity theory of money, it'll probably come in at around 5% year over year. So inflation will, will not go away fast. The Fed can give us a recession, but they, they can't get rid of inflation rapidly. Right. And this is the question, how to bring inflation down without causing economic pain. Uh, the Wall Street Journal's chief economics commentator, Greg Ipp, interviewed various economists, and some of them expect a soft landing, including a Goldman Sachs economist. Uh, the soft landing means that the economy will slow enough to bring down inflation, but will not push unemployment up much. And looking at the current strong employment figures, with the unemployment rate at a historic low of 3.7%, and as reported by the Wall Street Journal, uh, based on the surveys by the University of Michigan and the Federal Reserve Bank of New York, the spread between regular and inflation-indexed bonds projects 2.4% inflation over the coming five years. Uh, Professor Henke, how does that fit what you just said, that it is already baked in the cake? And what are the chances of a soft landing, in your opinion? Well, the chances of soft landing are very, very small. So Greg Ipp was cherry-picking economists that he wanted to talk to to, to write, write his article. It's, it's basically nonsense. They're soft landings, when, when the fight against inflation begins, soft landings are pretty rare. And we know 
you have to look at the money supply. None of, none of the economists Ip interviewed ever look at the money supply. They're using post-Keynesian models that are all wrong. You have to ask this question. Very interesting, Ip. You, you've interviewed a bunch of people, put it in the Wall Street Journal, and none of those people were able to forecast inflation. None of them saw inflation coming. They were all on team temporary. Remember that? We were going to have temporary inflation. It will just disappear magically somehow. So the, the, the whole article was complete nonsense. And the idea of a soft landing, as I say, it's possible, but not very probable. So that's, that's one point. Now, the markets in general have the inflation story completely wrong. The markets are mispricing inflation right now. For two years, not not five years, two years, pretty close in. That's you know going into 2024. The market is forecasting about a three percent inflation. If you look at those inflation-linked bonds, so there's there's no way. I just told you the numbers are the end of this year six to eight percent, according to Greenwood and Hankey, and five percent and the end of 2023 going into 2024. So you can see the markets are very mispriced and, and they've basically bought the propaganda coming out of the Federal Reserve, the central bank. And they're using all the wrong models, by the way. They're, they're not using the quantity theory of money. I don't think they've probably ever even read Milton Friedman on, on monetary economics, but there's going to be a, a lot of turmoil in the markets because if you have inflation coming in where Greenwood and I think it will be coming in versus where the markets are pricing it now, there's got to be a lot of adjustment in the market, meaning meaning what? It means that the bond prices will go down, nominal bond prices will go down big time, and interest rates will go up because interest rates always follow inflation. So if the inflation stays high, the interest rates will automatically have to go up. And if interest rates have to go up, that means bond prices have to go down. So you don't want to be holding any nominal bonds right now because you'll get killed. On the topic of the high cost of energy prices, Professor Hankey, more specifically on oil and gas, we have also observed the policies by the Biden administration, along with members of the U.S. Congress, to impose sanctions on Russia. Now, the conflict between Russia and Ukraine, with America backing Ukraine by authorizing $53 billion of American taxpayer funds to assist Ukraine directly and additional support to Europe's NATO members, and we are now entering its seventh month with no end in sight. On U.S. and European sanctions on Russia, recent news reports have indicated that Russia is actually pumping almost as much oil into the global market as it did before prior to its invasion of Ukraine. Well, with the oil prices up, Moscow is also reaping significant financial gains. And a recent report stated that through July 2022, Moscow has totaled $97 billion from oil and gas sales, earning $5.4 billion more per month than last year's monthly average. Professor Hankey, you have warned members of Congress, the Biden administration, about the failures of sanctions. And Professor Hankey, what is your assessment of the Biden administration? administration, the European Union's sanctions effectiveness on Russia thus far? Well, first of all, uh, just a couple of things. You said so something like $53 billion they put in. 
it's actually a little over 64 billion right now. So that every day they, they pump more money into this thing. So let's be very clear on what's going on. The U.S. and its European allies have declared war on Russia. We are in an economic war. And this is not, don't, don't lay it all at the feet of the Biden administration. This is a bipartisan thing. The Republicans are on board. All the politicians in Washington are bad news because they have declared a war on a great power. Russia still is a great power. And we might end up in a world war if this thing continues to accelerate, which it looks like it is, by the way. As far as the sanctions go themselves, we have another thing that people have to be aware of, and that is reading the newspapers in, in America, it's, it's filled with propaganda. So the, the narrative is, and if you read the newspaper, you think, oh, Putin is a bad guy. He's weaponized oil. He's weaponized food. He's using that as a weapon against us. He's causing an energy crisis in Europe because he's, he's cut off supplies of natural gas and oil going into Europe. Well, you have to look at the thing a little bit more calmly and objectively. And, and that is, we have declared war on Russia. We have imposed sanctions on Russia. And, and what's Russia supposed to do? We shoot at them and they're not supposed to shoot back? This is ridiculous, just ridiculous. And sanctions always end up with this. If you impose them, if you shoot at somebody, what happens? They shoot back at you. So this is not surprising. And, and as far as the press goes, it's my 95% rule. 95% of what you read in the American press, or any press for that matter, is either wrong or irrelevant. And most of, most of what you're reading about what's going on in Europe now and with the oil and gas in Russia is just completely upside down in my view. Professor Henke, regarding oil prices in America, also oil prices have fallen to the lowest level since before Russia's invasion of Ukraine. And today's AAA national average price for a regular gas is at $3.75, which is 25% less from the highest recorded average price of over $5 in June. Yet it is still higher than the years ago average and nearly double than what we were paying in January of 2021. Uh, Professor Henke, could you kindly share about the factors that contributed to the decrease of the gas prices and what can we expect going forward? I think the major thing going on with the gas price, it's a temporary thing, by the way, it's going back up, uh, crude oil. The Saudis will not let uh, Brent oil go below about $100 a barrel. It, it, it is below right now. They cut back production last week, 100,000 barrels a, a day. The Saudis did. I think they'll cut it some more and oil prices will be going back up and, and so will gasoline prices. But w why the temporary dip? The temporary dip is due to the fact that people anticipate that we will have a recession in the United States, that will reduce demand. We also have China. China's a big consumer, and, and they have a, a rather irrational, stupid policy, actually, this zero COVID policy, where they lock everyone down. They, they have millions of people in, in large cities in China right now that are locked down. They can't go to work. They can't go to the factory. They can't produce anything. So 
They can't drive their car. So what happens? The demand for oil and gas goes way down. If you lock everybody up, they're not going to be driving or using any fuel in the factories and things like that. So the recession in the United States will come, if it's not already here, as well as Europe will be in a serious recession. And the fact that you've got China, another huge economy, that's locking itself down, that's all what they call demand destruction. They're destroying demand. And that has been the, the cause of this recent weakness in the oil market. But I think in response to that, you're going to see the Saudis cutting back supply. And when that happens, the price will go back up. Even, even if you've destroyed a lot of demand, if, if you basically destroy supply, you punch the price back up. So I think that's where we're going. Prices are going up. And Professor Henke, you accurately predicted that inflation in the U.S. would reach 6 to 9% and we would be entering a recession. And you mentioned this in the Wall Street Journal about a year ago. And you are a leading world expert on currency boards measuring and stopping inflation, hyperinflation, currency and commodity trading. And today, the euro is the official currency of 19 European Union countries, which comprise the eurozone. And the European Union, in its claim, states that from economic stability to integrated financial markets, the euro is a tangible sign of European identity. But we also remember what Margaret Thatcher said about the euro. And she said, unequivocally, we are not going to have a single currency. We all know what happened. The European Union... And the UK were not able to continue their marriage. The UK actually left the European Union through Brexit. Now, the European Union is drawing countries like Bulgaria and Croatia to join Eurozone. And Croatia will adopt the euro currency from 1st January 2023. And last month in the Wall Street Journal, you published an op-ed titled Floating Exchange Rates Add to Economic Uncertainty, talking about the perils of instability, which brings problems for the U.S. and Europe and serious crisis to the developing nations. Professor Hankey, what is your message to Americans and Europeans, and specifically the citizens in places like Albania and Croatia, regarding the euro currency and your principal initiative, currency boards like that in Hong Kong and other jurisdictions? Joel, this is, this is a long topic here. Uh, and I, I certainly <laughs> realized that. In- You've thrown me into the deep water and I'm, I'm trying to swim. Let's back up. What the, the most important price in the world is the dollar-euro exchange rate. That's, that's a very important price. And the euro now is at a, a 20-year low. Um, it's, it's actually below parity. Uh, it takes a little less than less than a dollar to buy one euro. Less than a dollar to buy one euro. Now. So the euro is is very weak. And and why is it weak? It's weak because of this sanctions that U- Europe has put on Russia. So Europe is caused again. Get the causality. Europe goes to war with Russia. Russia decides to retaliate and shoot back by cutting down supplies of energy. And, and, and it, it, it's just hollowing up places like Germany. Germany's a big industrial factory, basically. Think of Germany, the economy, it's easy to think. It's a big car factory and a big chemical plant. That's Germany. And, and, and it runs on gas. And, and so if you cut the gas out, 
and, and its price soars, you've got tremendous problems in the economy. And, and that's the biggest economy in Europe. Uh, but, but they're all facing the same kind of general problems. So that's why the euro uh, is, is so weak. Fun, fundamentally, that's, that's the problem. It's, it's the war Europe has engaged in with Russia. And what happens when you get into a war zone, capital flees. It goes away from the war zone. So where does it go? It goes from the continent to, to New York City. People go, go in out of euros and they go into dollars. And where do they do that? They do it in the biggest capital market in the world, which is New York. So that's that's what's going on with the euro. Now, you mentioned Thatcher and, and the euro. Uh, and, of course, I, I was quite close to that because Sir Alan Walters was Margaret Thatcher's economic guru. And he happened to be a colleague of mine at Johns Hopkins and, and somebody – we. We did two books together, wrote many columns, articles, and so forth and so on together. So I knew what was going on. The problem with Britain, Britain right now, the pound is even weaker than the euro for the same reason, because Boris Johnson is a warmonger. Britain has been leading the charge in this war against Russia, and, and the Brits are going to pay a huge cost for this. Next year, the electric bills in Britain will go up 80%. Can you imagine a household if they told you, oh, <laughs> you know, well, welcome to the war. You're going to pay for the war. Your electric bill's going up 80%. That, that's the message. That's, of course, not what the politicians are saying. That's what I'm telling you objectively is going on. But that's what's going on in Britain. And the pound is tanking. The pound will go to all-time low. It is at an all-time low, and it's going to it's going to sink even further. It's a complete disaster in Great Britain, mainly caused by by this war. Now the question is, well, what do you what do you do in developing countries? That Joel, you asked me that in developing countries, what they should do is put in currency boards. Uh, Jacques de la Rosière uh, and I just published an article in El National today in Caracas where they have tremendous inflation problem going on for a long time in Venezuela. And, and the Bolivar has been completely wiped out. I mean, it, it's lost essentially all of its value. We proposed a currency board for Venezuela. The currency board issues local money. So in Venezuela, they would issue the Bolivar. It would be backed 100% with U.S. dollar reserves, and it would trade at a fixed exchange rate, freely convertible with the U.S. dollar. So if you didn't like your Bolivar, you'd exchange it at a fixed exchange rate for the U.S. dollar, and, and you would be guaranteed you'd receive U.S. dollars at that fixed exchange rate because you'd have 100% reserves backing it up. And that means a Bolivar becomes a clone of the U.S. dollar. In Latin America, and in most parts of the world, actually, people want dollars. That's the choice. That consumer sovereignty, if you let people freely choose what they would want. For example, even in Croatia, 
if you ask the Croats really what they would want in their wallet, and they were free to choose, they, most of them would choose the dollar. They would, they really wouldn't choose the euro, even though they're going to be adopting the euro. So the idea, in a nutshell, to make it pretty simple, is that central banks producing their own domestic money in developing countries are a complete disaster. They, they produce junk money. They produce a lot of inflation a lot of instability, a lot of problems are all connected with these local central banks. So you replace them with currency boards, you issue the local money, but what happens? That money is really a clone of some, some big anchor, like, like either the dollar, most likely, or, or maybe even the euro. Now, you could guarantee that things would be very good if there was some agreement, like the old Bretton Woods agreement, where the U.S., and Europe agreed that they would keep the dollar-euro exchange rate stable in, in some zone. If, if that occurred, then, then you'd have stability at the center. And, and if you had currency boards in all these peripheral countries, like, for example, Bulgaria has a currency board right now. I put it in in 1997. They've had it 25 years. And, and what do they do? The Bulgarian lev is issued. It trades at a fixed exchange rate with a euro. It's got 100% euro reserves backing it up. So the Bulgarian lev is, is just a clone of the, of the, of the euro. And they have a, a situation where, of course, it's profitable for the Bulgarians because the lev is issued. That's a liability of the currency board. It doesn't pay interest, but the reserves backing it up 100% are euro denominated and they pay interest so you automatically make a profit but that's the idea stability at the center you'd have to have some agreement between the u.s and the european union and then really mothball and put in museums most of these central banks in these developing countries Right. And as you spoke about euros and dollars, let us move just for a brief uh, question about the cryptocurrency. Uh, Binance, uh, the world's largest cryptocurrency exchange and its CEO have been under investigation by the U.S. Justice Department regarding their compliance with the U.S. anti-money laundering requirements. Uh, Reuters found that the gaps in Binance's compliance program enabled criminals to launder at least $2.35 billion in illicit funds to the exchange, which also served traders in Iran despite U.S. sanctions. Uh, Professor Henke, you stated that the crypto ecosystem remains an ideal breeding ground for criminals. And criminals and tax evaders have moved money from traditional banks, which were involved in money laundering in jurisdictions such as Liechtenstein, to cryptocurrency exchanges. Professor Henke, what are your thoughts about addressing this issue, which becomes an obvious problem when the clean money ends up funding political campaigns and raising real estate prices for average Americans in our neighborhoods? Well, in general, the, the production of cryptocurrencies is it's essentially a banking operation. And, and we have all the laws and regulations now to regulate banks. So the cryptocurrencies are nothing new. I mean, they're digital, but they're, they're nothing new. They function just like a bank. So they, they, we have all the regulations and everything to regulate it. We don't regulate them. 
they're out in the wild west, cowboys, unregulated. And, and that's why they're so inviting for criminals. And you've given the numbers. I mean, wherever you look, most of the activity in cryptocurrencies is associated with criminality. This weekend on America's Roundtable, we were delighted to be joined by Professor Steve Hankey, Professor of Applied Economics at Johns Hopkins University. We encourage our listeners to certainly seek out his excellent work by uh, checking your search engines. Steve Hankey, H-A-N-K-E. He's one of the world's leading experts on hyperinflation and is known as the money doctor. He served on President Reagan's Council of Economic Advisors and has been an advisor to five foreign heads of state and four foreign ministers of economy and finance. Professor Hankey, we thank you so much for taking time and sharing your insights with us, your extraordinary knowledge and wisdom, and uh, your practical work in all of these different countries. Thank you, Professor Hankey. Thank you so much, Dr. Hankey. Thank you. This is America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C., an initiative of the U.S.-based think tank International Leaders Summit in partnership with Lanza Broadcasting's two FM radio stations in Michigan and the Midwest and Supertalk Mississippi Media's 12 radio stations and 50 affiliate stations in the South. We thank you for joining us on America's Roundtable. I'm Joe Ladensami, your co-host, joined by Natasha Sodorch, economist and co-founder of the International Leaders Summit and the Jerusalem Leaders Summit. America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C. brings together leaders voices from business, government, media, technology, healthcare, and the public policy arena. Subscribe to America's Roundtable on Apple Podcasts, Amazon, Spotify, Google, and Fireside. Visit iLeadersSummit.org. iLeadersSummit.org. 